spread the fire fam welcome back to smwx and on today's episode i have a fantastic interview with two of south africa's most luminous minds on political and legal matters respectively i have ukoko aubrey machikli who's well known to this channel uh one of the most popular guests we've had on this channel and also advocate muzis kakane one of the country's leading senior advocates and also a person of great political activist pedigree too. I hope you enjoy this conversation between the three of us. Like, share, subscribe, and make sure that you stay locked on SMWX for 2022. Let's get into it. Aye, aye. The Cizwe Mbofu Welsh Experience Podcast. Aye, aye, aye. Advocates Kakane, uh, thank you so much for joining us today on SMWX for the second time. Thank you, Susan. I'm glad to be here. And Toboza Koko, thank you very much for joining us and gracing us on SMWX. I think this channel should just be called SMWX slash M for Machiki because you're the most popular guest. Toboza Kobe. Toboza Kev. Toboza um, well, you do have some competition because one of the only most popular episodes beyond some of our conversations is my conversation with Advocate Skakane. So we'll just have to see how this one does with, with the both of you. Well, in that case, it, it will have to be settled on looks. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, thanks so much uh, to both of you for joining us on this platform. I know the audience is extremely excited and I wanted to kick off by simply asking you how you react to uh, Lindiwe Sisulu, Minister Lindiwe Sisulu's article entitled Hey Mzansi, Have We Seen Justice? which has uh, started the political year off with something of a bang. Um, perhaps I'll start with you, Advocates Kakane. But Sizwe, my reaction to it is that it starts an important debate um, because it deals with much, much more than just the judiciary, although people have focused on the judiciary. It critiques our worldview. It critiques our political settlement. It critiques our um, constitutional dispensation and whether it does what it was designed to do. So uh, it's a debate I welcome. Um, when it comes to the judiciary, we must also understand that the judiciary is a product of political discussion in any given society, right? It doesn't come from anywhere else. So if you want to improve, enhance your judiciary, you will start by having proper political discussion. And so I see it that way. Uh, that's how I uh, welcome her critique. I must say, Cesar, that the people who make me, who send shivers down my spine in the past two weeks are those who have suggested that she can't make this debate. She can't say the things she's saying. Those people we should fear. I fear them. I had shivers down my spine just listening to people coming down on a citizen who is saying stuff that they may not like. I think we shouldn't go that route. So her freedom to express her views 
regardless of how we see her motives, that we can debate later. I think it's an important debate. And the Constitution, the Quran, the Bible are all documents that must be debated. Coco? Well, I was intrigued more by the response to the article than the article itself. Mm. But if you combine the two, that is the article itself and the response to the article, we, we will not have the time to discuss the general point I'm about to raise, but I'll raise it anyway. That there are a few things that the article together with the response tell us about the state of the country. And I deliberately not say the state of a nation because we are not a nation. I'd rather limit myself to saying this debate tells us a lot about the state of the country. Now, if you limit yourself to the four corners of the article, and you do not remove or separate the argument from the author. In other words, if your emphasis is less on the argument and more uh, on the author, certain questions do arise. As advocates Kakane, who I will call Muzi from, from now onwards, I think I've shown enough respect now. Um, as, as, as Muzi has alluded to, and we will have to look at what were her motives. And there are certain questions which arise out of that. Why now? And has the need for such an article not arisen before? What makes it arise today? Uh, which takes us straight to what her motives may have been. In my own view, almost always, when politicians engage with such issues, they are motivated by a mixture of two things, the noble and the ignoble. And I suspect uh, this is the case here. Another thing is to remember that words are not always what they describe. The word cat, C-A-T, is not a cat. And therefore the words she uses in her argument are not necessarily what they describe, even necessarily what she intends to describe. And therefore in part of the debate must be about the extent to which we must bridge the gap between the words and what they describe or between the words and what she intended them to describe. But just to latch on finally on the point Muzi makes about elements of the response to the article. I, I found some of the responses um, to be frank, quite frightening. 
because you have those who seem to be saying she cannot make the argument that she made. Now we can quibble about the quality of the argument. We can quibble about the correctness of uh, the, the argument. I think one thing we should all agree upon is that she has the right to say what she said. I suppose when we continue, we will look at issues such as freedom of expression and whether in any way the article uh, violates um, that part of our um, constitution. But let me also say this. I was also not surprised by the response I found frightening because the article does challenge a particular worldview. It challenges a way of seeing, a way of being, and a way of doing that has become uh, dominant. And therefore, we must bear in mind that every constitution, every constitution, including our own, represents the triumph of a particular dominant worldview in that particular society. Well, I, I think we've just kicked off with two fascinating reflections. And from here, we, we, uh, to, to the viewers, we've agreed we're going to have more of a conversation rather than just me asking the questions. And so it'll be a trialogue from here on in between the three of us. But from what both of you say, I think there are very useful ways of distinguishing some of the different things that have been happening. On the one hand, uh, the article itself and the strengths and weaknesses of the argument, and in many ways, the conclusions, some of which I agree with, but the arrival at those conclusions, um, I have some problems with in terms of the way the argument actually unfolded. But the conclusions themselves, I think, are not just Minister Sisulu's conclusions, they've been reached by a number of important thinkers and scholars across the legal and uh, intellectual spectrum. And uh, so that's the one thing. The other thing is the debate that ensued after the article and the silencing of those who agree with the conclusions, if not the arguments that led to those conclusions and an attempt to close the political debate around a narrow consensus and and to make it almost a heresy to even challenge the constitution or criticize or critique the constitution and i think there was evidence of that in the media uh, whether coordinated or not who knows but even if uncoordinated there was this just outpouring of of almost shaming the idea that the constitution is not perfect um, and then finally, there's the broader debate, the deeper debate about the constitutional order, which, which this is just one part of, which it seems we're not having. It's either the constitution is perfect and anyone who criticizes it is, is a villain and the devil incarnate, or uh, the constitution is, is uh, the worst document uh, that's ever been written and anyone who agrees with it is uh, President Ramaphosa's spokesperson. And somewhere between that extreme, we're not having the debate we need to be having the deeper debate about, well, 
how far is this constitution taking us towards and not just the constitution the whole legal order the whole legal system of which the constitution is just a part how far is this taking us towards a more just and uh, a less unjust society uh, feel free to to come in and respond as you feel you know let's start first of all both ministers in Sulu and those who critique her argument are entitled to express those views. And I have no difficulty with that. I have difficulties with people who seem to be defending a particular worldview and come down on anyone who challenges whiteness, who challenges the fact that we live in a country with ravages of colonial and apartheid system. And they come down on anyone critiquing that. And I think that is a problem. And we must know that from the beginning, uh, if we are to judge our constitutional democracy, we must judge it by what the constitution itself tells us we are moving the country away from. First of all, we, colonialism was grand theft of land. Colonialism was grand theft of wealth. Colonialism was grand theft of a people and their culture. Colonialism placed the majority of people on the margins of the human condition. So if you are changing that system, the only way to judge whether you've done enough is to, to check how far you're doing with that. Where do your majority of South Africans live? Where are they developmental-wise? Where are they in terms of education, in terms of equality, in terms of jobs, in terms of health and transport? We cannot judge our political settlement without critiquing whether or not this neoliberal outlook has delivered to the masses that we were seeking to free. And so those people, I don't blame Minister Sisulu or those who critique her because they are correct. They have the space to do so. What I think we must do, if we are truly committed to the freedom of expression as expressed in the constitution, well, we must know that the fact that ideas hurt us or we don't like them cannot trump the right to freedom of expression. An ego of a judge or a politician or anybody or a journalist cannot trump a citizen's freedom to express what they want. We do not have to tolerate views only because they make us comfortable. And I think that for me is something we must do. And as lawyers and as judges and as the executive, we must also be prepared to face robust debate about our own outlook. The law is Western in nature and there is no insult in stating that. To say that lawyers like myself who speak English as I am now and judges do so because our outlook is Western is not an insult, it's an observation and it's a start of a debate about substantive transformation of society to favor the, the African majority. And lastly, this idea that you can't criticize the judiciary is absolute nonsense. No holder of public power should escape criticism. Now, of course, no one should be insulted, but to suggest that in order to criticize the judiciary, you must write a paper where you cite cases means my mother can't criticize judges. And I think 
that elitist view that in order to criticize holders of public power who are the judges, um, we must get a law professor or a senior counsel is just the exclusion, constitutes the exclusion of the large majority of South Africans from critiquing holders of power. Well, Subi, uh, one of the questions I kept on asking myself as the debate was raging is to what end are we having this debate and similar debates in the past? And to what end should we have similar debates in future? And, and here we need to remind ourselves of a few things. This debate arises because of, because of a particular historical context. It arises because of contending conceptions of historical and collective memory. Now, another thing we must remind ourselves of is why we engaged in a struggle against apartheid colonialism. We did so to create a society that is the antithesis of apartheid society. But that was never going to be an, an end in itself. Beyond that lies the task of creating a society that itself is the antithesis of this society, which is the antithesis to apartheid society. Which means the task of renewing our society, socially, culturally, politically, economically, is eternal. It's a, it's a never um, ending task, which means as part of that understanding, the task of looking at the constitution and our constitutional order and whether it should be reviewed is a never ending task itself. Why this is not understood is just that a misunderstanding and to some extent deliberate. Because remember, the, the, the article talks about colonialism is peppered with many references to colonialism, the colonized and the colonizer. Now, for me, what is critical is coloniality because colonialism in formal terms is over. Coloniality, the logic which gave us colonialism is very much alive in countries such as South Africa, a country which is in Africa, but is not an African country. Now, we must also remember that this logic coloniality, its origins is the idea or reside in the idea that those who are not white are epistemologically inferior, incapable of creating and grasping knowledge and that they are ontologically inferior, they are other not human, and to the extent that they are, are not as human as those who are white. And therefore, one of the things which lie at the center of this debate, seen or unseen, is whiteness. And here we're not talking about skin color. We're talking about the worldview, we're talking about an ideology, 
we are talking about ways of seeing, ways of being, and ways of doing, which in South Africa have become dominant. What else has become dominant? With the dominant worldview, what has emerged is a particular idea about what institutional arrangement, arrangements and other arrangements should govern society, which ideas should be dominant in society. And as a result, because I've already said that any constitution anywhere in the world represents the triumph of a particular worldview, this constitution represents the triumph of a worldview that in its origin is governed by the logic of coloniality. And if we understand and accept that, and we accept that we must engage in the never ending task of renewing our society, we must then also understand that this cannot happen successfully unless all voices are heard in this regard. And it's such a shame that in public discourse, especially in the private media space in South Africa, we're constantly denied this debate and we're constantly told who the hero or heroine is and who the villain or the devil is. And uh, we create this climate of, of uh, this, this, this enthusiastic uh, climate um, where, where we, we just run to extremes and, and we write certain people off and we lift others up. Um, and I, I love that, that we're not holding back today in today's discussion. And you know, I've just got a number of observations based on, on what you've said, which I'd be very interested to hear your reflections on. But firstly, to be honest, I'm quite worried. Uh, um, and you know, if you can't comment on this, feel free, but I'm quite worried about how suddenly the acting chief justice is now being elevated, just like President Ramaphosa was elevated for a while into, there's a category in the media for, this is the person who needs to be defended, protected, and uh, raised to an unimpeachable pedestal. And anyone who, who taints or, or criticizes this person, even fairly, uh, is persona non grata. Um, and it's dangerous for me to elevate any public official who holds any power to this level of, of almost being unquestion, unquestionable. Um, having said that, um, and let me make a, a second point here, I think it is, it is reasonable for those who you know, are supporters and defenders of the constitution to ask, well, what is it about this constitutional order or what is it about the constitution itself or the constitutional text with which you actually take issue. And I have a response for that, actually, uh, now that they ask. Um, firstly, I love what Ubabs Kakane said about colonialism, and I would replace the preamble of the Constitution with those lines of, of Ubabs Kakane. Nowhere do we mention colonialism. Nowhere do we mention apartheid. We just, when we narrate our history in the preamble before we even get into the text, we just talk about the past, which, I mean, is the past 
as uh, Professor Tsepo Madlingozi says, is it, is it the uh, South African war? Is it the past relating to, you know, it's just everyone's the past. No, we had a, a devastating history of colonialism and we want to uproot that in addition to apartheid. And we don't have the guts in our constitution to name that problem. We just prefer airy-fairy uh, references to the past. Um, in the founding provisions, section one, where we talk about non-racialism and non-sexism, I have a problem with this idea of non-racialism. I don't think it goes far enough to to deliver racial justice. I think we we should really be more explicit because non-racialism is is so easy to be co-opted. I understand it's important history, going back to Sobuko and others, but but non-racialism now is 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 just as much DA uh, propaganda as it is you know uh, pan-Africanist thought, and I don't think that term takes us far enough towards racial justice. And then finally, when we look at the conspectus of rights in, the, in, in section two, I'm prepared to concede and actually agree that political rights have been vastly extended, whether that's freedom of expression, although <laughs> depends who you're criticizing, whether that's voting rights, whether that's you know, freedom of assembly, whether that's you know, your ability to, to engage in cultural practices, etc. So I think we've done well to, to expand political rights, but it really does seem to me the closer and closer I look at the constitution that economic questions, barring basic necessities like food and water and sanitation, economic questions were just ducked. And we don't say anything about, you know, how the distribution of wealth should look in, in this country. And for me, with such an unjust country to just ignore economics, uh, and economic power is a contributor, not to say the executive hasn't done its best to exacerbate the crisis, but contributes to the injustice and inequality that we see. Yeah, Caesar, you know, I've always said you can't solve a problem you are scared to pronounce, even to pronounce. And I think this paper by Minister Sisul is important to me. Forget about, I have my criticism of Minister Sisulu and the ANC and them speaking left and turning right. I'll come to that. I think if you can't pronounce the problem, you can't solve it. And you, you correctly point out the wishy-washy statements in the constitution, but that just characterizes our debate in South Africa. We're so scared of white power that we don't want to call it by its name, because it controls wealth. It puts people on the boards of companies. And so even our leaders are scared of calling out the ravages and dangers of white privilege and white power. And that's why we are unable to even understand that those who've come down on Minister Sassoulou, largely, not all of them, do so in order to defend the continued survival of white privilege and white power. And most of them are just poster boys of that white power. And they are sent to, to critique everyone, to come down on everyone who has the audacity to call white power by its name. Um, and I think we must be afraid when that happens in the country. You know, when the info scandal happened in South Africa, it was when our journalists and our commentators 
have bought into the propaganda machine of the apartheid regime and had elevated it to a point where there was no criticism. And I think it's important, the point you make, I was quite scared when I saw academics, so-called professors and journalists, truly coming down on a person for expressing a view. And they were not critiquing what she was saying. And I think basically only Padili Huta and Bishop Clyde Ramalaine even attempted to deal with what we can learn from it. The rest of the people, I think they were just going for her because they think it disturbs the balance of power in society. And I think since when you write, for as long as our constitution does not mention the things we must deal with, the substantive uh, issues of changing a society from that created by colonialism to a truly free society, we've not done anything. And this, uh, this whole backlash is nothing but subservience to white power, to white economic power that we are too scared to confront. And I think we must have a more open debate about ourselves than we are. It is not wrong to critique the Quran, the Bible, and the constitution and any other document in order to advance society. The, the climate in which this debate is happening, in my view, is decidedly unintellectual, more worrying, anti-intellectual, and even more worrying, anti-democratic. But to, to go back to the point of whiteness, a point I must complete, because I said I'm not just talking about complexion, we must bear in mind that some of the purveyors of whiteness by a co-option or other means are people who are not white. Now, why are we afraid of naming the problem? And why should be, as you say, are we ducking the economic issue? The Cizwe Mbofu Welsh Experience Podcast. Aye, 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 aye.